only happens when it's raining. Players only love you when they're playing. That's not the question tonight, though, friends. The question is, as those players are playing, are they playing eight conference games? Are they playing nine conference games? Does anyone even know what we're talking about? Well, there's a lot of chaos going on, and we will sort through it all tonight. We are live this is Thursday. It's June 1st, the year of our Lord, 2023. We're jam-packed, high atop a very, very conflicted downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Why? Because we ourselves are in the heart of SEC country. SEC Media Days will take place like two blocks from us uh, about a month or so from now. And they just found out how many conference games they want to play in 2024. Yeah, we got that breaking news late this afternoon. We will discuss. We got bold predictions, some really bold predictions tonight. We got the AM mood tracker. We've got some realignment talk, but it's more the kind of talk where things are going to happen. It's just kind of trying to choose when they're going to happen and, and whomst is going to follow whomst. A lot of newbies to the show that are wondering about the proper usage of whomst. And, and my question is, when do you not use whomst? Anyway, Nick Saban made some comments about how many out of the 52 weeks in a year are weeks where they work seven days a week. And I'm going to discuss it tonight because it is strikingly similar to the schedule that we work here. So I guess maybe we're not so different, he and I. Also, uh, there are some big moves coming in college football, so we're going to talk about all that. They're watching us in Paradise, Texas. They're tuned in in Melbourne, Australia, Blacksburg, Virginia, Wahoo, Nebraska. I've got a video to show you later tonight that I know it's only June, but I'm going to put it in the running for video of the year. Easily, Pate State material video of the year. Someone's getting a full ride tonight and uh, immunity. And I am also sending a chalice of supremacy to said person. Not right now, but later on in the show, I'll show you. If you're listening on podcast, you will hear it. It's, I, I, it made me tear up a little bit. I got to be real with you. Um, the Pate State Speaker Series, quick note, a week from tonight, we will have another special guest on the show. We, he will be sitting face-to-face -face with me. It won't be a Zoom or a Skype thing. Uh, it will be Miami head coach Mario Cristobal, and the reason we'll be able to do that is because here's part B of the big announcement. One week from tonight, we will be live from the University of Miami. And you may be wondering, why would you do that, Josh? And the answer is simple. Uh, our theory around here is spend as much time and find as many excuses to go to South Florida as humanly possible. And we found one. So we're headed down there. We'll be down there for several days next week. Looking forward to it. So late kick, Stanley Cup finals, NBA finals, everything that could be big is happening in South Florida next week. We're happy uh, to just be a small part of the, of the burgeoning sports scene down there. Okay, let's talk about it. Let's stack our papers and let's talk about it. <clears throat> you wanted it, kind of. You got it, absolutely. We've got news out of Destin, Florida, breaking semi-late this afternoon. So breaking-ish news. The SEC has decided they're going with eight games on that conference schedule in 2024. It's kind of a stopgap thing. It's a, it's a one-off thing. And the particulars, you can read this anywhere, the particulars, divisions are gone. So yeah, they're going to play eight conference games, even though at this point they'll have 16 teams in the league, eight conference games. But, but hold on a second. I know some of you are already freaking out and you still will be even after the butt here. But I do need to let you know, primary and secondary rivalries will be intact. So what that means is Alabama will play Auburn next year, but they'll also play Tennessee next year. And then you may ask me, well, how are they going to swing that? Yeah, I have no idea. They're going to release the schedules later this month. And so we'll all find out together at least who you're going to play. I don't think they're going to release the dates. Anyway, you can go to 247sports.com. Brandon Marcello has been all over this. A ton of folks have been doing really, really good work from down in Destin. I don't want to talk so much about the what. We all know that. I want to talk about the predictable outrage tsunami that ensued. People are, how should I, how should I phrase this? Um... I think people are handling this news exactly how you would expect SEC fans to handle big scheduling news in the beginning of June. Torches in one hand, pitchforks in the other, let's get them. That has been the collective outcry ever since this news broke a little while ago. It wasn't necessarily a shock. I think uh, most people felt that this was coming. So uh, here's what I don't want to have happen tonight, but it's going to. I don't want you to think I'm carrying the water for the SEC. I'm not. In fact, in fact, I have a preference here. I want them to play nine conference games. It's just that 
I don't put a period on the end of the sentence. We kind of talked about this on the Late Kick Extra podcast the other night, and I'm going to reiterate it here, or reiterate it here, because there's no end in the word reiterate. I am the kind of person that thinks there's a lot of nuance and subtlety and shades of gray in context that is probably necessary to be included in understanding all this stuff. It's in other words, it's not just you need to you need to step up, have the stones to play nine games. If you play eight, you're scared and weak. I know that traffics well on the socials. I know that I could believe me, I could do a segment tonight where I just waved my fist in the air and called out the SEC and we would get six figure views on it. Do we really talk like that? Six figure views? Yeah, well, we would get a ton of traction on it. However, I'm probably not going to do that. I'm going to tell you what I think. I I'm all for the SEC playing a nine-game nine conference schedule. The difference is I don't stop there, and I've shared this opinion with you several times. I'll give it to you once more. Uh, there is a great big but at the end of that sentence, and it sounds something like this. I want the SEC to play nine conference games per year, but I really need to know how you view strength of schedule. And I know that's boring conclusion. It seems kind of anticlimactic, but yet that's what's going on here, or at least... At least it's one little chunk. I'm going to read a paragraph that Marcelo wrote. Nick, you can read his full report over on 247sports.com. So this, this is not to be ignored. This is in the Marcelo report. Quote, the college football playoff has not yet provided enough information on how it will value strength of schedule in an expanded playoff. And ESPN has not yet communicated what it is willing to pay for additional games. And that's enough to coax several ADs to hit the pause button. All right, well, let me tell you what I care about and what I don't, because I couldn't care less about some of that. I strongly care about some other parts of it. Do I care about whether or not you're going to make a bowl game? No, it is incredibly weak. That's one of the weakest arguments you could possibly make in favor of an eight-game over a nine-game conference schedule. So we got that out of the way. Number two, I do not care how much ESPN pays you, because none of that money's going to my pocket. I don't care. The only thing that I care about that overlaps with what apparently some of these folks in the SEC care about is how are you going to interpret strength of schedule when we get to playoff time? Because right now, I got a bunch of folks blowing up my DMs and texts, and I'm just looking on the Twitters and whatnot, and I'm looking at people say, you play a stronger schedule the more power five teams you play. And I know sometimes that's right. Sometimes that's very misleading. You know, in the NFL, First off, losses don't mean as much. And secondly, everyone's a pro team. So even a weak schedule, it still involves you playing, what, 16 or 17 or whatever it is now, NFL opponents. That mentality has kind of bled over to college football a little bit. And I'll tell you what it sounds like. It sounds like, it sounds like when you see a graphic. I know there's one floating around right now that's really popular, and it shows how many Power 5 versus Power 5 matchups you're going to have in certain conferences and how many Power 5 versus non-Power 5 matchups you're going to have in other conferences. The good Lord has put me here tonight to tell you, knowing how many Power 5 teams you play is only the beginning of understanding how strong your schedule is. And if you don't believe me, and you don't understand how infinitely greater the value of a loss is in college football than pro sports, let me ask you something. If you're listening on podcast, you're not going to miss anything here. There's no fancy graphic. I just want you to follow along with me. If you believe the end-all be-all is just playing Power 5 opponents over playing FCS opponents, let me ask you something. Scenario. Team A plays Northwestern, Arizona, and Syracuse. So it's week nine. Let's just, let's back up for a second. It's week nine, okay? And both of you are undefeated. You know what? Here's a better one. It's week nine, and both of you are eight and one. One team has to play Northwestern, Syracuse and Arizona, three power five teams. The other team has to play Georgia, UT Chattanooga, and Samford. So that's the best team in the country and two FCS teams, actually. Scenario A, you play three power fives. Scenario B, you only play one power five. Yet, let me ask you something. If you've got a legit team that's got a shot at the playoff, which of those would you rather have? And I think anyone with half a brain out there understands You'd much rather play the three power five teams that are probably all collectively ranked in the 50 to 60 range over playing Georgia because you understand it doesn't matter if you beat the other two FCS teams by half a million. 
that lost Georgia is inevitably going to hang on you is the end. For all intents and purposes, you may be out of it because that's how much a loss means in college football. So anyway, some of this stuff is weak from the SEC. So worrying about whether you're going to make a bowl game or not, it is weak sauce. It should never enter the room. Worrying about how much money ESPN is going to pay you. Nobody watching this program nor the dude talking in the mic right now should care one ounce about that because it doesn't impact our lives. But if you're the kind of person out there who screams in June, y'all better play nine conference games. But in December, you're the same person who screams, you are what your record says you are. I'm not interested in your opinion because you're not understanding the subtlety of strength of schedule and how valuable that is in putting together the puzzle of how the playoff is going to be constructed. Now, there's another voice in the room from far off in the distance that says, oh, it's the SEC. They'll just get teams in anyway. I really don't care if you think that. Yes, history says that. I don't care. It's it's college football, so I know everything's unequal. But in terms of a postseason format, in terms of a scheduling format, in terms of those criteria, I would at least like to understand that everyone's operating from the same playbook on that front. And with that in mind, you would never say some of the things about other conferences that you say about the SEC because you kind of hold them to a little bit higher standard. So um, I know it sounds to a lot of people who are upset about this like I'm carrying water for him, like I'm here trying to defend Greg Sankey. Not necessarily. I'm not quite sure what he would have done today. Like it's up to the presidents to vote on this stuff. It's not his, although he could, you know, he could choose to burn a lot of his equity in that room had he wanted to. I'm not sure what it would have meant. But look, he got a little fiery afterwards today. And he said some things that typically you don't hear from him. And we don't necessarily, you know, have sound bites of it or anything. But it was basically, if I paraphrased it, he was looking at you saying, like any of you would do anything different. Like anybody else had a better solution. Like I've sat in these rooms all week and I have talked to these people for months on end. Do you really think we didn't exhaust all possible avenues here? Like, do you think you have information? I don't. That's essentially what he's yelling to, you know, people who firing off tweets at him and people who are criticizing him on talk radio. That's part of the job. I'm not here to defend him. I'm just saying if I were in his position, I'm pretty sure I would have emerged from that hotel down there and had a similar attitude. Like you, you can't lead the horse to the water and make him drink unless you just take his head and dip it in there. And that's, that's horse murder. We cannot do that. And nor can we do it to South Carolina or Alabama or Texas A&M. So I think they're going to nine games. It's, it's like in 2028, when you look back on this, no one will care because we will have long since arrived at a more permanent solution. I will give you this piece of advice, though. And, you know, Meemaw would have just as easily applied this in life as she would to college football scheduling minutiae. If people don't care what you think, it doesn't really matter what you call them. And so a lot of folks are resorting to the tactic of calling the SEC scared. And it's, it's like, if they care about what you think, that's going to work. If, if I am terrified of lightning, which I am very much so, and you try and insult me, thinking it's going to matter to me by saying, oh, you should come outside with me. I can't. It's lightning. Oh, what are you scared? Yeah. Oh, look at you, chicken. I don't really care. You can call me whatever you want to. Look at you. Are you oh, how, how pathetic. Everyone else is out here. Yeah, I'm going to stay in here, though. I don't care. Heart rate's not getting above 80, not getting worked up. Check the pulse all you want to. I don't care. I don't really think most of the decision makers in the SEC care what folks from like the Dakotas or uh, Northern California think about them. I just don't think they care. So you can shout into the ether and you can call them scared if you want to. I'm just saying we're down here. We're in the heart of it. I don't think they care a whole lot. And so I didn't get what I wanted here. I wanted the SEC to go to a nine game conference schedule. Don't misunderstand me. I'm mildly to moderately upset as well. Because I do, much like you, want more premier matchups. If I was a season ticket holder, I'd be doubly livid because of what they're forcing me to pay for right now versus what I could have had. All I'm saying with the double pen pop there, boom, boom. All I'm saying is I kind of get one of the excuses and some of the others I totally throw in the garbage along with you guys. I hope I haven't been unclear. I saw two people in the live chat here. They wanted a back update. We're good. Look, look at this mobility. Okay, we're good. 
we, we were on the shelf for a brief period of time. I, I had one of those classic sneeze, upper back strain conundrums. Whomst amongst us hasn't, right? And so I'm good. Back feels good. The strain is gone. I'll tell you how, tell you how healthy I am. I'll tell you how back to 100% I am. So I went to management's birthday party last night. I think they call it a soiree in the world he lives in. I don't know. I don't know the gate code, so I rarely get into that world. But I go there. Good food. Okay, good time. Great company. Mismanagement was there. Management's wife was there. But it just if I was anything less than 100%, you know I would have found a way out of that. That proves to you beyond a shadow of a doubt. I am very much back to my old self. Um, someone asked, what did you buy him? <laughs> What can people like us really buy people like that? You can't buy these people anything. You just sit there. It went about as you would expect. He sung happy birthday to himself. A good time was had by all. But yeah, back's good. I appreciate you guys checking on me. Thank you. Bold predictions time. Chapter five, I think we're on, Jesse. Yeah, chapter five. And by the way, if you are thinking, if you're thinking about dipping out right now, I would highly advise against it. We have about as jam-packed a show as any college football show has ever been in the month of June. I have got several more things to talk to you about. I promised you at the beginning, and I will deliver the video of the year. I'm easily calling it the video of the year so far. Okay, but first, let's get to bold predictions. Uh, Bold predictions, these are the rules. You submit the things that you feel comfortable betting your money on that you also think are the boldest beliefs that you have going into 2023. First up, let's stay in Tennessee, and let's take a look at what Millie said. Tennessee makes the playoff out of Columbus, Georgia, no less. The Fountain City of Columbus, Georgia. Yeah, I'm going to call this an eight and a half on the boldness scale, one to ten. For the record, anyone out there interested in the odds market, Tennessee opened at plus 3,000. No, no, no. They opened at plus 2,500 to win the title. They are plus 3,000 now. That's tied for 13th. So that's where Vegas roughly slots them. Now, that is not an exact order of power ratings, you know, because for, for the, just for instance here, if Tennessee were in the Big Ten West, that'd be a lot higher than 13th on the odds to win the title. As it stands now, they have baked into that number the fact that they got to play Georgia and Alabama in the regular season, not to mention just the rest of their schedule. They open in Nissan Stadium here in Nashville, Tennessee. So they lost Hendon Hooker, yes. They lost Jalen Hyatt, they lost Cedric Tillman, yes, we know all that. If I'm a Tennessee fan, I don't even let you finish that sentence before I put my index finger over your lips. And then I remove it, and then I remind you, Josh Heupel, head coach there, has had a top 10 offense each of the last five years. So he does okay. I'm pretty sure he's had pieces come and go during that time. He's done okay. I think they'll be okay this year again. Joe Milton. Big question mark, one of the most pivotal players in all of college football. Joe Milton starts at quarterback for them this year. Post-it popping stat. Joe Milton had 82 pass attempts last year. Started two games, right? The bowl game and one other game. Out of those 82 passes, he had seven completions of 50-plus yards. That put him tied for eighth in FBS in that stat category. And he didn't even come close to starting a whole season. He he only had 82 pass attempts. So that's fun. Now, on the other side of the ball, Tennessee does have that small fact that they had the 127th ranked pass defense in the country last year. I guess it's a good thing they returned 73% of their production. But there's that. So mixed bag. Uh, I think Vegas agrees with me here. I'm going to make it an eight and a half. Tennessee makes the playoff and wins the title. They got to win the title. Hmm. They got to make the playoff, I guess, for the prediction to come true. Plus 3,000 to win the title. I don't know, Jesse. Maybe we should go into our budget and bet 10 or $15 on that. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Let's move on. Let's go to Lincoln, Nebraska. Oh, this seems so much like a prediction we would have gotten last year. Cameron from Lincoln, Nebraska. He says Nebraska wins eight plus games this year. 
and beats Iowa for the second year in a row. I'm going to focus on the first part here. It's a lot cleaner that way. Nebraska winning eight-plus games. The over-under is six, if you're wondering. I'm going to make this a seven and a half on the boldness scale. It's not the craziest thing in the world. Colin, um, I'll tell you what, leave that graphic up for just a second, and then do me a favor and throw their schedule up for me. So they were four and eight last year. I think we all remember Scott Frost comes in with a very similar feel. Their over-under win total was seven and a half, if memory serves correct, last year, and it just imploded really, really quick. So he's out like by week four last year. They, they're 85th in returning production. Okay, now here's why, if you want glass half full, you may want to entertain this idea. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, eight is a solid two games above the Vegas total, but you're looking at their schedule. If you're listening on podcast, I'm showing it on the screen right now. There are two things absent. One of them is Ohio State. They don't play them. The other is Penn State. They don't play them. They play Michigan, and they get Michigan at home. So that's, that's a plus. And then they're going to be involved otherwise in a lot of games where the point spreads are very short, one bounce of ball, you know the drill there. Now, here's the thing. They got Jeff Sims in there from Georgia Tech, transfer quarterback. He's going to be one of the most experienced quarterbacks in the Big Ten. He's got 23 career starts. Here may be the downside, but I don't know that this is an apples-to-apples comparison. Matt Rule, when he takes over programs. It's not a guessing game. We have case study. We've seen it happen before. He took over Temple. First year, two wins. Then it got a lot better the second and third year. He took over Baylor. One win. Then it got a lot better the second and third year. So there is a track record of him taking over, just torching the barn to kill the rats, and then you rebuild a really nice barn. Is that the way it's going to be at Nebraska? I'm not so sure. I think the portal may have afforded them the opportunity and, and inheriting a little bit more talented a roster than four and eight would indicate probably affords them the opportunity to, to be a little bit stronger this year. But eight wins. I'm going to call that a seven and a half on the boldness scale. Can they get to eight wins? I could see it because of the nature of the Big Ten West and the fact that they avoid two of the big three from the East. All right, let's move on. Got a little playoff prediction here. We get it every year. I don't remember a year where we haven't gotten this prediction yet. Austin from Waverly, Ohio. We will have a two-loss team make the playoff. Okay, so since 2014, we've had 36 teams make the playoff. Stats and info confirms nine times four is 36. Every single one of them has either been undefeated or had one loss. Out of 36 teams, we have yet to have a two-loss team. And yet every preseason, someone takes it upon themselves to predict that this is the year we have a two-loss team in the playoff. And the thing about it is they, they convince me every single July or August that it's going to happen. But this is June. I'm not there yet. I'm calling this an eight and a half. But if it did happen, how would this happen? Well, the first thing is, let's just look at the odds market because there are three teams in the country that have preseason over-under win totals of 10 and a half or higher. Georgia at 11. Ohio State, 10 and a half. Michigan, 10 and a half. Burn the list. That's it. You got Bama, Clemson, and USC at 10 for the record. So, that's yeah, a short list. It's what the list normally looks like. That's an over-under. It's not a true projection of how many games you're going to win. Because I can guarantee you, Georgia, their over-under is 11. They'll be favored in every game. I can promise you that, unless something truly devastating happens. Like, Kirby Smart goes on a, a random Mormon mission as he transfers to be the head coach at BYU, middle of the season, like that. Yeah, outside of that, I think Georgia will be favored in every game this year. But let's just say this were to happen. Let's say we get a two-loss team in the playoff. How did it happen? Well, our best guess is the Pac-12 has to cannibalize themselves, so there's, just, there's no Pac-12 team in the running. The Big 12 probably needs to cannibalize itself, too. Boom. Nope. Ooh, we just dismissed Texas and Oklahoma. Shame on us. Then again, they've done a really good job of doing that to themselves the last three years. I don't want to throw shade, but that's just reality. So let's just say those two conferences devour themselves, and they're out of the way. Or, or a maximum of one of them do. They're out of the way. Notre Dame doesn't have a playoff caliber year, so they're not a threat. At that point, you need that round-robin thing to happen where, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe a Georgia is undefeated and like an LSU or Alabama has one close loss and their second loss is to Georgia close in the conference title game. Or ditto for 
I don't know how it would happen in the Big Ten, but you can have that little round robin effect in the Big Ten. The point is, if you have a clean path, if you have a bunch of undefeateds and one losses, this is irrelevant. But if you have a lot of carnage, if you have some 2007-ish happening in the top 10, well, yes, then we could have a path there. This is not out of the realm of possibility. This is the old cannot versus have not thing. It, it, it has not happened. That does not mean it cannot happen. I'm going to put eight and a half on that. And last, but certainly not least, from Fort Gibson, Tyler says Bo Nix is going to win the Heisman at Oregon this year. This is an 8.75 because it's just hard to really predict who's going to win the Heisman. You're picking one name. But it could have been higher. So this shows a little respect for Bo Nix, believe it or not. We kind of run his fan club, at least the Tennessee chapter of his fan club. Where is he in the odds market? Some of you may be surprised to know, Bo Nix is in the top five in preseason Heisman odds. Caleb Williams, one. Michael Penix Jr., two. Jordan Travis at FSU is number three. And it's Bo Nix and Drake May tied at four. So yeah, he's up there. He led all quarterbacks in FBS in rushing touchdowns last year. He has greatly improved his deep ball accuracy. I mean, we saw it firsthand because we were at the UCLA game last year. Now he lost his offensive coordinator. Kenny Dillingham went to Arizona State. Oregon's got the second highest win total out there in the Pac-12. Like they're going to be in a position and he's going to be in a position. And unlike some of the names I just read off, you have to respect his entire stat package. You can't just look, you can't just look A, B, resume comparison. How many yards has he thrown for? He's probably not going to throw for as many yards as those guys. Those other guys probably are not going to run for as many as he is either. That exposes him a little bit more to injury risk. And if he misses games, this is a moot point. But I think Bo Nix is going to be in it. I think Oregon's going to be in it out there. So I'm going to make that an 8.75 with the understanding that even if you predicted Caleb Williams to win the Heisman, and he's already done it, and he's the favorite to do it again, I'd still make that like a 7. You just, it's just hard to predict that stuff. So Bo Nix, quack, quack. They go to Texas Tech in Week 2. Just, I think, one of the most underrated games of the year. Oregon at Texas Tech in Week 2. Um, not underrated, not overrated, properly rated is Academy Sports and Outdoors. Academy Sports and Outdoors, as you know, if you stuck with us for a long time, they've had our back, they've been our sponsor forever, and they are the only name that you see. See, it's not like split into quadrants back there. It's just Academy. And then this really sweet spinny logo we have, but that's us. We don't, we don't sponsor ourselves because we're too broke to do it. So we told you the other day, going into Memorial Day, if you are a person who has one of those military IDs in that back pocket, if you're a first responder, you bring that ID to an Academy Sports and Outdoors anytime between now and July 4th, you get 10% off that order. You do the same thing, academy.com, and I think you get free curbside pickup within two hours if you do it as well. So we've got that going for us. But even if you're just a civilian like the rest of us out here, let's be real. Even then, no one else is topping Academy Sports and Outdoors. I was down in Columbus the other night. And I, I went and I did some questionable activity. Uh, you might know it as train hopping. But by the time I got home, it was too late and everything was closed except this one place. So I had to go pick something up from a place that doesn't sponsor the show. But the dessert was not picked up from the restaurant. The dessert was got to drive past an Academy Sports and Outdoors. Now, they're not one of these 24-7 outfits. They're not open at 3 a.m. Okay, you got to go on their terms. But even when you go on their terms, it's a wonderful place to be. It's a wonderful place to be if you need spring sports equipment, sporting goods equipment, grilling equipment, camping equipment. Got some pretty good clothing options there as well. Footwear options. Hit up Academy Sports and Outdoors. And if you can't get there in person, academy.com. But whatever you do, just get there. And make sure that you tell them we sent you. Even though it won't get you an added discount, it just makes us feel all warm and fuzzy inside. What is happening to our sport? It's at this point, if, if you have your chalice with choice liquid next to you, I would suggest you take a sip because we got to dive pretty deep into some stuff that's about to go down fairly quickly, I think, in college football. And I also want to pull the live chat up so I can personally tell you guys, copy, paste, boom. Thank you for being tuned in. It's so busy right now. So busy. Is Colorado going to the Big 12? It looks like Colorado's going to go to the Big 12. Uncle Dennis, Dennis Dodd to you, Uncle Dennis to me, uh, he's been all over the story for quite a while. Even when some people push back on Uncle Dennis, Uncle Dennis has been pretty steadfast on this. So, so good for him. We go to the same barber. I see him there like, like you know, once every other week. Good to see Uncle Dennis. So 
Colorado to the Big 12. Now, this is not done. If you misunderstood me there, and if you misunderstood me, it's probably because I misstated it. It's not done. It's just being reported strongly that talks are happening and there could be wheels in motion. You know the drill. Colin, could you, uh, could you show me the quote from the athletic director the other day? Rick George, how many of you know who that is? Most of you don't. Let's be real. It's the Colorado athletic director. You don't have to know who Rick George is, though, because we know who he is for you. And it's, This is not a Where's Waldo. He's right on your screen right now. And if you're listening on podcast, I'm going to paper pop. And I'm going to read you a quote, courtesy of our Buff Zone 24-7 Sports Colorado outlet out there. Uh, this is the Colorado AD last week. Quote, We're members of the Pac-12. We're proud members of the Pac-12. And we've got to see where our media rights deal lands and where our conference goes. In a perfect world, we'd love to be in the Pac-12. But we also have to do what's right for Colorado at the end of the day. We'll evaluate things moving forward. I have had the staff translate that. And it translates roughly into, we out of here. That's what's about to happen in Colorado. I strongly believe they're going to the Big 12. Had been hearing this for weeks, and it's now starting to be... You can ask Jesse. I told him like a month ago. Jesse will pay no mind to that because he can't be seen on camera. AEW can put him on camera, as it turns out, but we can't. Uh, I told Jesse like a month ago, this is going down, man. Colorado's going, and they're not going alone. Now, here's the part I don't know. I don't really know who's going with them. I really believe Colorado's going to be on the move. And to give you a timeline... I think you're going to hear about this before this season starts. Like, they're not going to be in the Big 12 this year. But if I had to bet money, I would bet that Colorado announces they're going to be moving to the Big 12 next year before this season starts. So you can look at your calendar and realize that's a pretty truncated timetable. Everybody I've spoken to thinks 30 days, 45 days, 60 days, going to be pretty imminent. Maybe they'll have the news break at Big 12 Media Days, like, like uh, A&M had to find out about Texas and Oklahoma a couple of years ago. That was, a, that was always a fun replay to watch the next day. So, oh, I mis- misplaced my piece of paper here. This is going to be a big domino. The reason I'm actually talking about it tonight is not that it's just a big deal if Colorado leaves. I don't think that that would really keep you guys up at night. It's going to mean a domino effect. Because I don't really see a world where Colorado alone is moving. They've long been linked to the, you know, the four corners theory of it's Colorado and it's Utah and it's the Arizona schools, which does not constitute the four corners, by the way, from a geographical perspective. It's just the region of the country they're in. I think that a lot of them are going. That's, that would be my guess. That is just a guess. Okay? There's guided information that Colorado's leaving. My guess is that they're not going alone. But that's one part of the, the domino picture here. The other part that we cannot know, but they can, is are they just moving in the best interest of Colorado? Are they moving because they think it's inevitable and they want to ride the wave instead of chase the wave? Or is all that true? And are they also privy to some information from Seattle? Or maybe privy to some information from Eugene? Might they have a little heads up that some premier members from the northern part of that Pac-12 conference may be moving on to a conference not named the Big 12. Maybe they're Big 10 bound. Maybe that's in the offing. No matter how you slice it, once this next round of dominoes falls, so too does the Pac-12. It'll still exist. I'm sure that they've got on speed dial. San Diego State already lined up and SMU, whoever it may be. Tulane, for all I know, lands out there. Just because you got a conference doesn't mean you got a power conference. And we're moving into a new playoff era. And here's the fallacy right now. And I got I to gotta warn you, you know, you, you know I'm already wading into waters I don't care to be in. So just let that be stated until the end of time whenever I start talking about the expanded playoff. We're going to the... Sorry, sorry about that, Colin. We're going into this new playoff era. And we got a lot of realignment happening. There's a lot of uncertainty. We've written the map in such light pencil because we have to erase it. At any given point, things could be turned on their ear and, and everything starts from scratch. So in this new playoff era, we got 12 teams, right? Right, Josh. And we got half a dozen auto bids for the six highest ranked conference champs, right? 
Absolutely, Josh. And then you got six auto bids, right? Mm-hmm. Stop stating the obvious, Josh. Get to the point. Well, the point is, that's not an ironclad contract for the next two decades, guys. I don't know if you realize this, that's a two-year stopgap. That contract ends in 2026. And anytime you watch the show and my tone gets a little more hushed, it's because I think I'm onto something. And I think the SEC sitting down there saying, yeah, six auto bids, that'll do for now. The Big Ten, yeah, six auto bids, all right. You know, we, we can figure that out. Frankly, I think they're more concerned with which media partner gets what chunk of the playoff revenue and playoff pie. I think that's what they're more concerned about. But eventually it's going to come down to format. And I'm telling you confidently, that I do not think the powers that be in those rooms are going to look at conferences like the Pac-12 continue to erode in terms of an already questionable product going downhill even further and say, hmm, well, our conference is 15 times more powerful than anyone else out here outside of the Big Ten and ditto in the Big Ten for the SEC. But yeah, why not still guarantee six auto bids to all these conference champs? Why not? Why not? There are a bunch of reasons why not. And they're right in front of your face. And so I wonder when we get to the time to negotiate that new playoff contract, if you think conference realignment's been a headache, if you think figuring out how many games the SEC is going to play on their conference schedule has been a headache, wait until you start hearing power players in the SEC and the Big Ten come to the realization that, wow, we're way better. We're way more powerful than these other folks. Why are we giving them anything? And then you really need to take a shower. Because you'll feel so gross listening to all that in context, it'll make the rest of this just seem like a normal June. And the other thing, and this is just kind of where my mind goes because it's inevitable, is if this does end up being the fate of the Pac-12, if it's not long for this world, and by this world, I mean the, you know, the Power Five world, if it's not long for this world, I feel the need to remind you there are several quality coaches out there. And two of them are leaving to go to the Big Ten, obviously, but that leaves several quality coaches out there. You see what Kalen DeBoer's doing? You see what Jonathan Smith's doing? You see what Dan Landing's doing? You see Jed Fish start to turn Arizona around? Kenny Dillingham just got his shot at Arizona State. You got Deion Sanders. Anyone ever heard of Deion Sanders? He's at Colorado. Are they all just going to stick around through the uncertainty? Now, if I'm right, a lot of them are on ships that are already headed elsewhere anyway, but if you're left behind, I mean, th think about that and think about how you have to manage your future. Think about the conversations that have to be happening between some of these guys and their agents. It's on one hand, it's an interesting time if you're not involved, but it's got to be a nightmare if you are involved uh, because there's so much that's out of your hands. Coaches are okay with how hard the job is. As long as a majority of the most difficult stuff is within their control. But now you've inserted like 37 new factors outside of their control and they don't even have expertise in it. Like these coaches won't find out much before the rest of us will if some of this is happening. Because those decisions are happening by people who wear bow ties across campus. They're, they're not happening in, in the dark film room, projectors on, you got the grease board back here. That's not where that kind of plan's drawn up, friends. And I think they know it. And that's why there's a lot of uneasiness when you talk to a lot of those coaches. Because I've never had a spring and summer where I've had more coaches ask me what I'm hearing. What do you think's going to happen? I'm like, what do, you, what do you think I called you for? I'm trying to find out if you know anything. No one knows anything until they do. So the other thing to keep in mind is when that happens, it's not going to be a trickle. It's going to be like someone put, put unlimited amounts of sticks of dynamite on the dam and then they hit the red button and boom. And here it comes. One, one hour, you got the Colorado news. The next hour, you got a reaction move from an Arizona state followed closely by Arizona. And then you find out what Utah is going to do. And then all of a sudden, rumblings out of the Pacific Northwest. Mount St. Helens, is that you? No, it's just Oregon. It's just Washington. They may be headed elsewhere. And meanwhile. You got George Klykoff down there saying, we'll get to it after we figure out our media rights deal. We'll get to it. No, too little too late. I did want to do one thing. It's not going to take too long, uh, but I did want to do one thing. Well, two things. First is I wanted to just beg you, like the video. That's that thumbs up button for those unfamiliar. And subscribe to the channel. It just says subscribe. Nothing fancy about that. Um, you know, the, the livelihood of the staff literally depends on it. That's all. No pressure. You want Jesse to eat tonight? Well, he already ate once. You want him to eat again when he gets home? That's it. 
keep the show free. Keep producer Jesse fed, director Colin. Uh, Bradley, the associate, has bailed on us. But it's for a good cause. He is going to a spring wedding. And we are the foremost ambassadors of spring weddings. So we farmed Bradley off down I-65 to Birmingham for the week, weekend. And we, uh, we hope to see him back Sunday. Okay. The transfer portal, for, for all intents and purposes, is kind of done for the spring portion of 2023. So we finally have a, a pretty finished picture of what we just saw. The dust is kind of settled. You know, we got two new five stars, right? So the final rankings updates came out. Travis Hunter, still number one overall out of the portal. That's the corner. He went, to, he went from Jackson State out to Colorado. You knew that. Okay, two new five stars. Denver Harris, transfer from A&M to LSU. He was part of that big signing class for A&M a year ago. He is now a five-star. Great returns out of spring camp for LSU when it comes to Denver Harris. That was the only question. No one ever questioned anything other than him about, you know, can he, can he play the ball in the air? Uh, how, is it, how is his cutting ability? Is he quick enough? None of that stuff. Denver Harris is a great athlete. It was off the field stuff with him. Well, you go through spring, you hear the right things from LSU. They bumped him up to a five-star. Also, A.D. Mitchell, uh, AD Mitchell transfer from Georgia to Texas, part of a loaded wide receiver room. He is also a five-star. And that's it. Only three five-stars in the transfer portal rankings this year. A.D. Mitchell with Steve Sarkeesian is just selfishly something I look forward to watching this year. Okay, so with that in mind, when we look at the final team rankings, or at least the most up-to-date team rankings, these really aren't going to move around a bunch anymore. Colorado's still number one. I was getting some intel from our staff at 24-7, and it's almost like they viewed Colorado detached from the rest of the transfer portal. Because if you really think about it, how are you supposed to measure one team that took 50 kids out of the portal against teams that took 14 or 15 or 10? Auburn took 21, and that's an extreme outlier already, and they're not even halfway to Colorado. So, I mean, Colorado, they took more kids out of the portal than LSU and USC and FSU combined. Uh, it's not a criticism. It's just that's a reality. So Colorado's almost been like in their own conversation. And then you, you judge them and you're just amazed by what they did. And then you get to the rest of the teams and it's like a separate conversation because they're in a more normal situation. Whereas Colorado was in an unprecedented situation. LSU passed Auburn for number two. That's the other big takeaway, at least when it comes to team rankings. Auburn and LSU have kind of been bouncing around two and three. The Denver-Harris updated ranking had a lot to do with that. But LSU really went after defensive back. They think they did really good at the running back position. I do too, for the record. But with Auburn, Auburn got like a starting offense all the way down to the quarterback with Peyton Thorne out of Michigan State. They got an entire starting offense. Jair Shorter, Shane Hooks, those are two receivers that probably instantly walk in there and are better than anyone on their roster. Uh, they got the kid from Ohio State. We'll see. You know, he hasn't done anything. So we'll see about him. But Rivaldo Fairweather was the tight end they got uh, that was kind of early in the cycle. So we forgot about him a little bit. Well, they didn't. He's a really good player. So Auburn's still, I think, with more four-star or higher talent than any team in the entire transfer portal rankings. Some other teams that I wanted to focus on, though, for a second, Michigan did a really good job here. And they're only ranked 25th, but that's all relative to how many kids you took. Six out of the eight kids they took are rated four stars. So Michigan was very selective. You see on the screen there, uh, their average player rating way up there because of that selective nature of their process. Ernest Hausman, that linebacker they got out of Nebraska, just keep an eye on him. I thought Kentucky did a really, really good job in the portal. They took 18 kids and their overall average player rating was 89. That's really, really good. For those unfamiliar with the scale and the metrics, that's really good. Offensive line, they had to hit big on the offensive line. They did. They also went and got Devin Leary, the quarterback there from NC State. They got, some, they, they got Ray Davis, the running back from just down the road here at Vanderbilt. They got another run back out of NC State. So they did a really good job. It's going to be interesting because you lose Will Levis, and you know the assumption out there will be, oh, Kentucky will fall back to earth. I'm, I'm not so sure that production is going to drop off a whole lot. They got Liam Cohen back at offensive coordinator, by the way. So I'm not quite sure if Devin Leary's upright, which he wasn't a majority of last year. He's given time to throw. He wasn't last year. Devin Leary's a really good player. And he's a redshirt senior. He's been around a long time. In four years at NC State, had over 6,800 passing yards and 62 touchdowns. 
to 16 INTs. He is a good player. Probably a much better player than most, most folks believed that Kentucky was capable of getting out of the portal. So good on them. Also, Oklahoma. I cannot go this entire segment without mentioning the Sooners. They, they heavily addressed defensive line. Okay, out of the seven four-star kids they got, four of them were on the defensive line. Uh, Deshaun McCullough also is a linebacker and was the highest overall rated player they went and got out of Indiana. We talked about him a lot like two months ago. He's been in the fold for a while with them. But Oklahoma's ninth in the transfer portal rankings. And you see, I mean, they, they had to overhaul defense. And they did as much as they could out of the portal. But then I got to go to the other side of the fence for just a second. What do I say about Clemson? We were talking about this earlier today in the office. What do you say about Clemson? They've got the number 98 class in the transfer portal. But that's because they chose to be 98th. They easily could have gone and gotten kids. They lost 10 kids to the portal. They went and got one. And that gets them the 98th ranked transfer portal class. That's, I think, by far the lowest out of all the Power Five. And it's like the great ACC experiment continuing over there. Because since Mike Norvell got to Florida State, FSU has become Clemson's biggest competition for ACC supremacy. And that certainly will be on display this year. And yet you could not go about things any more opposite than those two have. Since Mike Norvell has come to Tallahassee, they have taken 46 kids out of the transfer portal. In the same period of time, Clemson has taken two. And what does it result in? They got about the same odds to win the title this year. They play that game at Clemson. Clemson will be a very, very slight favorite, basically home field advantage. And odds makers are saying, have at it. We're watching the experiment right along with the rest of you. Just fascinating, always is, to watch different coaches go about it in different ways. This is not a surprise or anything like that. It's not like if I told Dabo Swinney, hey, you know you guys only took one guy out of the portal? He'd say, what? No, he knows that. That's their approach. They're very intentional about it. I'm just, it's not the way I would do things, but I don't run Clemson. So we'll see. We will see. I I think the big question is, if they lose two games or three games this year, would he change his approach? Does it take a negative outcome, in other words, for him to change that approach? We shall see. Okay. I think we're deep enough into the show now. If you wonder what that sound is, that sound right there, it's, uh, you know, it's just, it's not quite a blowing of the nose, so to speak, but it's like a, it's a little clearing of the nasal passage. I don't expect everyone to understand, but we don't take commercial breaks here. You take a little sip out of the chalice, you have Colin dump the audio so you can clear your throat every now and then. That's, that's the life we live. I have, waiting in the control room to be played, what I believe to be the greatest video of this year. Okay, so let me tee it up for you. If you're listening on podcast, you're not going to be able to see it, but don't worry, you'll hear the main parts. You'll hear what you need to hear. The visual is just an added bonus. A lot of times, people ask, what do I have to do to to get a chalice of supremacy? Where can I buy them? The short answer is you cannot buy them. They're not for sale, but they are obtainable. And you obtain a chalice of supremacy when you go above and beyond to promote this show and promote our brand to the masses. And then I have to recognize it. I have to see it. We do it a lot during the season. For instance, we got kicked off of college game day because too many of you had late kick and Pate State signs in the background and they just decided enough of that and they torched them. They kicked all y'all out. Not before several of you got chalai. On a related note, if you are owed a chalice and I have not sent it to you yet, I, th- I thought we had sent all of them out, but I got, got a submission earlier today that showed, nope, we missed one. If I missed you, then hit me back again. You know how to get in the DMs at Late Kick Josh. I will address it. Um, you got to prove that I owed you one, by the way. So have records, have receipts on him. All right, so anyway, how do you get a chalice? You got to earn a chalice of supremacy. They are not, they're not for sale. Chalai of supremacy, plural of chalice. They're not for sale. You got to earn them. Hayden is a tour guide in Austin, Texas. And let me tell you what Hayden did. He set out to work one morning and decided, I'm not coming home until I earn a chalice. And boy, did he ever. Take a look. We have a lot of you guys from Sweden here today, and you're probably not familiar with college football. 
So for those of you all who want to learn a little bit more about this, I would recommend you go check out the Late Kick Live YouTube show and podcast with Josh Payton. There are hundreds of different college football programs, and he will talk about a lot of the bigger names, including the Texas Longhorns. And it's a fantastic show that really lets you learn a lot about the Texas Longhorns and a bunch of different programs here in Texas and the United States. It really does bring a tear to the eye. I salute you, Hayden. Chalice of supremacy on the way for you, my friend. You want to know what they mean when they say Pate State material? That is Pate State material. That is a guy out there serving for the greater good, and we appreciate it. You got a bunch of folks from Sweden, probably never heard of college football, could not tell you what a longhorn is to save their lives other than the actual animal itself. Hayden didn't care. And so if we see an uptake in, uh, in listenership and viewership from Sweden, I will know why. Thank you, Hayden. Yeah, you guys pull that off, you may have a chalice in your future. All right, let's, let's go down the road. It, didn't, it wasn't planned this way. It just ended up this way. Texas A&M mood tracker time. What's the mood of the fan base there? I was going back and forth with Billy Lucci today. Anytime I'm doing the A&M mood tracker, I say, hey, Luch, what mood you in? Because he does a very good job of speaking for the A&M fan base out there. Well, what do we know? What do we know right now about the Aggies? We know Jimbo's coming off his worst season since he's been in College Station. Ouch. You just got to rip the Band-Aid off. Uh, we know changes were made, so he didn't sit there and say, deal with it. Changes were made. They brought in Bobby Petrino. He had a lot of kids leave, and I'm not so sure that was all subtraction by subtraction. There may be a little addition by subtraction there. We also know that they have not had a double-digit win season at Texas A&M since 2012, but they got a ton of talent. They've had it before. They got it again. With that in mind, I think the mood of the Texas A&M fan base could best be described as your turn, because that's exactly how I'd feel. If I lived down there in Junction, Texas, if you know, you know, if I lived in Junction, Texas, and I'm a lifelong Aggie, I have been passionate since the day I was born. I have been fully bought in since the day I was born. I buy the tickets. I am invested in every way you could possibly be invested. And not just that, I've had patience. I've had patience with this coaching staff. I've done, in other words, everything you could ever ask of me. It's your turn to deliver for me. That's how I'd feel. You've been given everything that you could ever ask for. Everything people say they need to win in college football, Jimbo Fisher's got it. And he's been given time. This isn't a Billy Napier situation. He's not, he's not a little over 12 months into his tenure there. He's half a decade or more in. It's, it's your time. It's your turn to deliver for me. Now, what's the reason for optimism? Because there are reasons. I, it's preview magazine season. I have not gone and grabbed one yet because they're kind of like farmer's almanacs to me. But I have not seen what people are predicting. I will tell you this, though. There is reason for optimism there. Uh, they lost five games by six points or less last year. And we were doing late kick extra. We were doing the Pate State speaker series with Cole Kublik the other day. And we were kind of chopping up how important that stat actually is. Sometimes it's overrated. I think it always bears repeating, though. How many of the games you lost the year before were close? And then maybe your Michigan State. Most of your losses were blowout losses. Well, that matters a little bit. If you believe in any kind of rollover effect, that matters. So they lost five games by six points or less. They were 3-2 and two against top 25 competition last year. They were 2-5 and five against unranked competition. Good luck making sense of that. They probably weeded out more pieces there that they needed to than people realize. I, they, they went for broke in that previous signing class. And I'm not so sure that they went about it the wisest of ways. Sure, they got the highest rated recruiting class of all time. But did they get the right pieces? Did they have the right gel? I don't think they did. A lot of those pieces are gone. And you may look at that and say, uh-oh, they lost a lot. Well, there's a difference in losing something and something not being there anymore. And I think some of those guys just aren't there anymore. I'm not saying that across the board. I'm saying some of those guys just aren't there anymore if you're picking up what I'm putting down. Um, having said that, there is this, there is this post-it I have to deliver to you. Because um, I've got some people 
as I do the radio rounds, and this will only amplify more as the season draws closer, I've got some people who, when I point out that Jimbo Fisher went and hired Bobby Petrino, they say to me, okay, Josh, but yeah, they hired Petrino, but it's, it's just one man. I mean, they missed a bowl last year. You really expect one man to have that kind of impact? Well, I'm not sure if he'll have that impact or not, but one man can have that big an impact if he's allowed to cook and he's given the proper ingredients. And I know the second half of that formula's there. Will the first half be there? I don't have a reason to believe it won't necessarily, but can one man change things? Well, I want you to think about losing five games by six points or less when you're 101st in points per game, you're 93rd in yards per game, you're 75th nationally in explosive play rate. You tell me what difference one man calling plays the right way versus Jimbo's way could make. It could make a big difference. It could make, I, I think it could end up being the difference between one of the best stories in college football this year and one of the worst stories in college football this year. Because you want to talk about a fork in the road. Everybody else, stroke of midnight, New Year's Eve, we just celebrated 2023. Uh, for Texas A&M fans, they're just looking at a great big fork. Because 2023, one way or another, will either be one of the best stories of the year or one of the worst stories of the year. Because if everything comes together offensively, this can be a double-digit win team. If everything doesn't come together offensively, you start talking about what the difference is between an $86 million buyout and a $76.8 million buyout. We do not play 162 games. This is not Major League Baseball. We play 12 of these. You lose a few of them close. You lose a few of them by 15 or 16 points for all I care. It is the difference between being employed and going and working for SEC Network next year. I, I think you could make the argument that this is, um, what would I call, I guess the most interesting team, uh, the most volatile team potentially. There's such a high variance level with the potential outcomes here. And I, I think that if you were to just poll A&M fans, Yes or no? Are you confident this year? If you just gave them a yes or no, they'd say yes. If you put a little blank at the bottom and said, any additional comments are welcome, they'd have plenty of additional comments. They'd say, yeah. However, I could also see it crashing and burning. Yes, I'm confident, but is Jimbo really going to get out of the way? Yes, I'm confident, but is Bobby Petrino really the right call? Yes, I'm confident, but are we going to be healthy at quarterback? So many things. So many things to keep in mind here. How about that buyout math? 86, can't do it. 76.8, maybe. I don't know many people with $86 million. I think we know a few with 76.8. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. But the, the mood out there is, it's your turn. Your turn. You can't be looking at me and saying, be patient anymore. You can't be looking at me and saying, if only you guys had donated to the collective a little bit more. Mm-mm. If only you guys had shown up to Kyle Field. That place is incredible. Nope. Fans don't need to do anything more than they've already done. Boosters don't need to do anything more than they've already done. Coaching staff, team, players, you got to deliver or else someone else will come in there and do it. Okay, I had a lot of you come to me later today and ask about a quote out there. So I'm going to end the show by talking about this. It's, I think, maybe surprising to some, but I, I don't think if you're closer to the game, I don't think this will surprise you. All right, Colin. Almost choked, sorry, immunity. Colin, here's your end point. Peter Burns, friend of the program, Peter Burns from SEC Network, he had Nick Saban on his Sirius XM radio show and lost in all this talk about scheduling and NIL and tampering and all that stuff. Peter Burns put out this tweet earlier today. He said, the most surprising thing I heard at spring meetings, Nick Saban told us on Sirius XM, they tracked how many weeks of the year they work seven days a week. The answer was 44 out of 52. God bless assistant coaches and coaching staffs. How surprised are you by this? 44 out of 52 weeks of the year. College football staffs working seven days a week. At least they do at Alabama. And I'm telling you, that's pretty much the norm. I wasn't surprised at all by that. Uh, but then again, I'm around it a lot. Maybe some of you are surprised by that. I'll keep taking you back to a couple of years ago. Because it was the best job that I have seen a major college football coach do of calling this out publicly. And that was when Kirby Smart won his first national title and Reese Davis had him on TV the next day. And you kind of get that podium. That's one of the benefits of being the head coach that wins a national title. You get that podium to talk about whatever you want to talk about on ESPN the next day. And Kirby's, he's still got confetti in his hair. And Kirby's 
took the time to say, yeah, our path right now is untenable. We're losing some really good men to the NFL. We're losing some guys to burnout. Matt Luke was an example that he was about to have to deal with on his own coaching staff. Matt Luke should, for all intents and purposes, have been in the prime of his career. Great offensive line coach. Found a wonderful situation there at Georgia, and he was going to be set up to succeed, and he was going to be supplied with the best athletes in the country as long as he wanted to stay there. And he retired. Said, I'm out of here. I got the buyout money from Ole Miss. I'm financially well enough. I'm just going to go spend time with my kids. So much so that people thought there was a scandal involved. People thought there must be something beneath the surface. It really wasn't that. I remember coming on the show because I called around that day to make sure. And I said, no, guys, I talked to people today. This is exactly as it appears. Matt Luke is burned out. He can't take that schedule anymore. And then, of course, we had some of the usual fools who came in and said, well, I'd work, I'd work any amount of money. I'd work, I'd work 25 hours a day if you pay me that kind of money. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Because you got, you got a finite amount of energy no matter how much money they pay you. If someone pays you $5 or $5 billion, it doesn't make you capable of anything more than 100% of what you're capable of. So right now, you pump guys' pockets full of cash, and in exchange, what do you expect? You expect them to, to do 125% of what a human's capable of. Well, a lot of them are tired of it, and so they've left. You don't feel sorry for them, maybe. I kind of do, because I, you know, you know what people could do a better job of, and maybe this is on us. I think people could do a better job when you profile college football coaches of showing just how little the money actually impacts their lives. Now, the wife, the kids, the cousins, they benefit greatly. Most of these head coaches are in such a bunker mentality, it doesn't even matter how much money they're making. Ditto for the assistants and beyond. It's just, they, they, they live a nomadic lifestyle. And they're working over 100 hours a week, most weeks. And they're doing it with such regularity that it doesn't even stand out. Like no coach goes up to another coach and says, boy, I'm beat to death. Man, we had to, we had to work till 845 the other night. Because he knows the other dude saying, y'all got off at 845? Man, you're lucky. We were in there to 10, 10, 10, 15. What time did we, did I even leave the other night? I go to a bunch of these facilities and you know what the most common thing I see is? An inflatable mattress on the floor, especially in some assistant coaches rooms, recruiting coordinators and whatnot. Those dudes don't leave the office sometimes. So it is not a shock to me at all to listen to the hours. Saban talks about them working and listen to how many weeks they go seven days out of seven, 44 out of 52. They're working seven days a week. That's not a surprise. What is the greater point to be taken away from this? The greater point to be taken away is something we talked about on the show for a long time. And that is the people who make the rules for college football never have to abide by them. They never have to work in accordance with them, I guess is the better way to put it. So you go the NIL route, you go the portal route, but then you kind of lag behind adjusting what's legal. How many staff, how many staffers can you have in this department? How many people can you have on the field? How many people can you have doing this and that? Uh, Because you got very short-sighted people that are either signing off on things or you got reactionary people saying, "Uh uh-oh, 14 people are mad on Twitter. Uh, We better legalize this today. All right, it's Friday, 4.45, have a good weekend. And then people just have it dumped in their lap in these athletic departments. And they're like, what are we supposed to do with this? Hello, is anybody here? And you just look around and saloon door swinging, NCAA, gone. And you're just supposed to deal with it. Well, there's there's only two things you can do. You can either quit or you can just work more hours. And the ones who hadn't quit, work more hours. And I was, talking to a, I was talking to a coach last week, a head coach, actually, last week, at great length about how much more desirable the NFL is right now than college football. Now, if you're new around here, you may think, oh, that's a no-brainer, Josh. Pro sports, that's always a level up from college sports. Actually, no, it's not. In football, it's not always that way in coaching. Certainly, the pinnacle of the sport overall would be winning a Super Bowl championship. That's always agreed upon. But there are two very, very different work styles, coaching in the pros versus coaching in college. There are things you don't have to do in the pros that you do in college and vice versa. And some guys, if they just had an apples to apples, A, B choice to make, they'd rather coach in college. But it's not that way anymore. Guys aren't going to coach in the NFL because it's just a higher level of competition. (laughs) They're going to coach in the NFL because it's easier. 
It's way easier. You actually get downtime. You actually get to go home before the sun sets most days. You don't have to recruit. And, and it used, it, recruiting's already been tough enough. But what recruiting is now, including your own roster and the portal, not to mention high school kids, is totally unsustainable for a lot of people. Just as a model, it's unsustainable. Because here's what you know. You know you got folks like Nick Saban out there. You got folks like Kirby Smart out there. And whether they like it or not, they will grind their entire staffs to, to the bone in an effort to stay out ahead of everything. And they may not like the rules, but they're going to win based on what those rules say right now. And so if you're calling yourself competing against them, you don't have any other choice but to follow along. And I, I hear from a lot of folks that say, man, I wish, I wish we could just have a gentleman's agreement. Man, we're all going to go home at 6 o'clock today. That's not the way it works. It's not the way competition is ever going to work. So I know some of you were taken by surprise at that. I was surprised it was only 44 weeks. I was surprised at that. Now, we had a little joke going around the office earlier today because pretty notoriously, our staff works seven days out of the week most of the year too, especially during the season, and we do not have an off-season. So, I mean, Director Colin is doing something seven days a week most weeks. Jesse, myself, we're doing something seven days a week. However, however, I, I would be remiss if I didn't include that, yeah, we can go to the gym at noon if we want to. Yeah, I mean, we, we, can, we can just go take an hour and a half lunch if we want to. But I'm not so sure. Don't type that in the prompter, Jesse. Don't you do that. You, you, you take people's speaking privileges and appearance privileges away for one little three-year period. And all of a sudden, they want to talk in the teleprompter. Well, we don't use a prompter. We don't believe in the off-season. And we don't believe in teleprompters on this show. Other than that, it's pretty much game on. So yeah, they're working long hours at Alabama. They're working long hours in college football. And I'm not quite sure anyone's coming to the rescue anytime soon. Nor can we. We don't have the power to. But at, at the very least, I'll continue to use our platform to call it out. Thank you guys so much for watching. Make sure, make sure you are subscribed to this channel and subscribed to the podcast. We had a lot to go over tonight. I would suggest just watching the show again. Because it'll help us in terms of metrics and it'll probably kill some time that you otherwise will be spent doing something like working. Who wants to do that? So until Sunday night, when we'll be back here for Producer Jesse, for Director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great start to your weekend. And God bless.